What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Heath Mulligan Project, the podcast where we're helping you discover your purpose, your passion, and your possibilities. And on this season, we're talking about matters of the heart. We're talking about grief. Uh, we're talking about uh, overcoming different types of bondage in our life. And right now, we're going through the book, Progressing Through Grief. Uh, there's a link to that in the show notes. It's a wonderful book. It's helped me a lot in my own journey through grief. And so I highly recommend it to you. And as I go through the chapters of this book, I'm just touching. I am just scratching the surface. I'm touching the high points just to kind of give you something to chew on. Uh, but if you want the full, uh, if you want the full benefit, I highly encourage you to get the book again. It's progressing through grief and this chapter, we're going to talk about setbacks and solutions. Uh, and there's and there's three different types of setbacks we're going to talk about. Uh, and one of them has, uh, I, I guess, a lot under that category. And the first kind of setback that we're looking at is uh, when you think about grief roles. And, and what that means is... Your family or, or you, you may have been through grief before and you assumed a role. Maybe uh, maybe you were the mother and, and your family suffered a loss and so you kind of had to be, you were the one in the kitchen. You were the one making sure everything was done. You were kind of keeping up with things and that may be a role that you fill uh, regularly with not only your, your immediate family but your extended family. And what happens a lot of times is when grief hits closer to home, people can often expect us to fill that same role that we've always filled. If you've, you know, if you've been the person who's kind of organized the meals and been in the kitchen and making sure everybody else has their food, if they're expecting you to do that, but you need, you need to be the one who is, I mean, for lack of a better term, you need to be the one who's served. You need to be the one who's cared for. You need to be the one who is allowed just to sit there and, and not have to be running, you know, a, a thousand miles a minute. And that's, man, so you've got to be able to verbalize how you're feeling and you have to be able to tell people, hey, I know that I'm typically the one doing A, B, and C. I can't do that right now. Uh, and there's no shame in that. And there should be no guilt in that. And anyone who would say to you, oh, no, you've got to do what you You got to. <laughs> Those are awkward and tough conversations. And so that that's one of the things that can set us back is when there are assumptions made about the role we're playing in uh, the grief journey and we're not able to fill the role we normally play and we need something else. The other thing, uh, a second thing that can really set us back is um, destructive beliefs. Um, destructive beliefs are those beliefs that are just just tear us down. They tear other people down. Um, and they cause us to react to certain things in really, really, um, bad ways. Now, one, uh, one destructive belief is if you see how someone else has been handling grief 
and you compare yourself to them, and you're like, oh, you know, I'm not crying. I'm crying more than them, so something's wrong with me, or I'm cr- not crying as much as them. There's something wrong with me. Those are examples of uh, destructive beliefs. Uh, when and, and and it's not just destructive beliefs that become internally. Uh, there are destructive beliefs that are put on us. Uh, one of the examples the author uses is a, a woman who lost her husband and they get ready for the visitation and a family member comes up to her and says, hey, uh, you need to take off some of that makeup because you don't look sad enough. That's ridiculous. That's the kind of ridiculous things we face sometimes when we're going through grief. And so it's very important, uh, you know, with grief roles, it's about having conversations with your family and friends and telling them what you're able to do, what you're not able to do. And with destructive beliefs, it really helps to to write them down, to verbalize them. I mean, this is why counseling is so important. This is why friends are so important. Because when you hear yourself say some things, uh, I you know, one thing I've committed to in 2021 is to journal a little bit every night. And, and for me, you know, um, it's, it's a very personal thing. It's, and when you, when you write something out, when you hear yourself say it, you're like, wow, that sounds, that sounds ridiculous. Was I really thinking that? Was I really, did I really believe that? And it is, and it's part of that healing process because, we talked about it before. Your man, your brain is doing a thousand things. It does a thousand things all the time. When you're going through grief, man, it's just in survival mode. It's just in survival mode. And your brain oftentimes it it's not doing a very good job of discerning, you know, right from left and, and up and down and right from wrong. I mean, so you gotta you gotta ask for help, and you gotta talk to people, and and again you gotta be willing to write these things down, and you gotta be willing to understand. Hey, um, every thought that's coming to my mind right now may not be the best, and I need people to walk with me through this. One thing I love about this book is it's not a typical book. I mean, this is uh, every chapter has exercises that you can do. So. Right after she wrote about journaling, there's space for you to to journal. And so as I've been going through the book, man, it was very, very helpful because it asks you about how you're feeling. It asks you about, you know, what were your expectations of grief? What did you expect for this to be like? And that was very helpful, even though I'm coming up on uh, two years since my wife passed away. Um, just still dealing with a lot of the, the residue of some of this stuff. Uh, so again, uh, those first two things that can kind of sell, set you back is uh, grief rolls when those kind of get mi- mixed up and destructive beliefs. Uh, this last one is uh, self-defeating behaviors. And we're going to go through several of these um, to, to kind of help you. What are behaviors that you 100% need to avoid? What are the behaviors that will make your grief. You think it's going to make it easier, but it's going to make it harder. And this takes, this takes some intention. Um, this takes some, and it's hard. My goodness, grief is so hard because you feel like you're out of control. You feel like everything's out of control. 
this this tragedy, this loss, whatever it was, has been been thrust upon you, and and sometimes you don't know what to do. And so, if you can come up with a list, these are things not to do. These are things to one hundred percent avoid. Uh, the first one is this: avoiding or minimizing your emotions. Um, there's no right when it comes to. I mean, let's just say crying. Uh, crying is a sign of emotion. There's no right or wrong when it comes to crying. Uh, I have been in periods of my life, uh, to be honest, I cried a lot more when my wife was just getting sick than I have since her passing. And our situation was a little different because she was, she was dying a little bit every day. I mean, we, we kind of watched that happen. It wasn't a sudden thing. And so our morning started way before she passed. And, but, but for me to feel like crying and think, well, you know what? Crying would show that I'm weak and I don't need to cry and, and I don't need to talk about my feelings or, man, I'm angry and I don't, you, avoiding and minimizing your emotions. You can't do it. It doesn't matter what your emotion is. It's a, it fits your emotion. If it's how you're feeling, how you feel, there's no right or wrong feeling. Is what you do with it. And if you avoid it or you minimize it, you are going to cause long-term harm to yourself and to those around you. Another one is scapegoating. Scapegoating is where you're just trying to blame somebody. One thing that really helped me, uh, and, and I can't remember if this was in a college class or it was in a Bible study at church, um, there are some situations, you know, my wife did not die of a hereditary disease. There's nobody to blame. It was just a disease that manifested in her family, uh, a generation or so ago, maybe more than that. And, uh, so it's not like she, you know, she didn't die from medical mistakes. She, it wasn't anything like that. There's literally nobody to blame except for God. And I remember studying, and, and you might be listening to this, and maybe you're not a person of faith. Maybe you're not a, a believer. And for me, all right, I'm just going to be straight up with you. You may never listen to the podcast again. Like, I couldn't have made it through this without my faith. I couldn't have made it through this without my relationship with Jesus Christ. And something that just really helped me is uh, we were going through the book of Job. And the book of Job, if you've never heard about it in the Bible, is this man who, he loses all his wealth. His his children all die. He loses everything. And then he's, you know, afflicted with, uh, you know, skin sores. And it's just bad. And at the end of the day, like, he, you know, he's trying not to blame God. Uh, and then you have to realize, okay, you know, God is for me. He's not against me. He loves me. He he sticks closer than a brother. And when you get to the point, it's like, okay, I'm going to blame God for this. That's a, 
I'm just gonna be that. That's a good conversation to have. I'm not saying some people would say, "Oh man, you can't." That's not a, that's. I, I, I'm I'm. I don't think the conversation ends with you blaming God, but I th- I think that can be a healthy process to go through that of thinking. Okay, I think it's very healthy to ask why. People say, "Man, it's a sin to ask God why," and then, no, not at all. I think it's okay, but I think it is very unhealthy when you start looking around the table and when you start looking around your office and you start looking around your church or wherever you are and you start trying to find somebody to blame and you take out your emotions on a friend or a family member or a child or a co-worker. We, we're humans. We rationally want somebody to blame. And even if, even if somebody's at fault, Sometimes blaming them, that's not healthy. It doesn't do us any good. So you gotta you gotta just tread carefully with that. Cause scapegoating somebody's not gonna bring back your loved one. It's not gonna bring back your job. Whatever tragedy or whatever caused your grief, scapegoating's got not gonna change that, right? Not gonna make anything better. It's only gonna make things worse. Uh, the next thing is, uh, is is rationalizing. Now, this this goes to the question of asking why. Again, I think asking why is a very healthy thing, if done in the right way. I think if you spend, I think you can, if you're asking why twenty four hours a day, and it's this endless search, and it consumes you, and you're trying to find a re- listen. Sometimes these things happen. Sometimes there's no answers, okay? And that's where my faith really kicks in, is is when there's a gap. Uh, this, ration, this is what the author says. This rationalizing search can become all-consuming and keeps the person from dealing with the loss or even living with their own life. So if you're going to ask why, and, and that's very natural, you got to draw the line somewhere. You can't let it consume you. You can't let it take over your life. You have to take care of yourself. You have to take care of your family. Those need to be first two priorities. And your brain's going to want to do a lot of crazy things. Our brain likes things to be logical. Our brain, our brain likes for things to make sense. And sometimes life does not make sense. And that's part of the grieving process. Next is perfectionism. Is when you want everything to be perfect. When you feel like you've got to grieve perfectly. Um, this, this often co- corresponds with the role you play in your family. It, you, you know, something happens and now you're trying to be... For me, it was trying to be the perfect dad. And... I know that's not possible. I can be the best dad I can be, um, but I was I was trying not to make uh, any mistakes, and and it was just it was consuming me, and it was driving me, um, it was driving me crazy. Uh, 
The longer, here's what the author says, the longer you maintain perfectionism, the more likely you are to fear rejection for being who you are or develop feelings of inferiority. Here's the thing. We're not perfect. And when you try to be perfect, when you try to be, when you try to maintain perfectionism while you're experiencing grief, there are things you're going to try to hide. There are things you're going to limit. And that's unhealthy. You've got to, uh, you've got to be free to to show your emotions. You got to be free to talk. And if we're trying to be perfect, and if we feel like there's a certain there's certain ways we can and can't respond, it's it's going to do uh, some damage. Some damage. Uh, here's another. Here's the next one. Problem solving. Now this isn't this isn't the same as why and trying to figure out what happened with us. This is we try to cope by trying to solve everybody else's problems, that we try to escape dealing with our own grief and dealing with our own sorrow and dealing with our own emotions by trying to fix everybody else's marriage, by trying to fix everybody else's family, everybody else's job. We put the focus on other people, and that's you know one way we try to uh, try to deal with our grief. And if you're trying to solve everybody else's problems, you're not doing anything uh, to help your own uh, grief. Here's the next one: isolation. Uh, I, you know, there are time. There's a time and a place for isolation. There's a time and a place for that solitude, and and solitude be completely different from isolation. But if you isolate yourself and just kind of say, "Well, nobody can understand what I'm going through," that's that's bad. If you're isolating yourself because you, you don't want anybody around and you don't feel like anybody's ever going to kind of get what you're going through, that's not healthy. You need people. Uh, you need people in your life to support you and love you and help you through uh, these various uh, these various situations. Uh, it's very important. One thing you can do to um, to keep from being isolated is make sure you're scheduling time with people weekly. Make sure, you know, maybe it's a FaceTime, maybe it's a lunch, uh, whatever it is, that you're scheduling wet regular check-ins with people and you're not isolating yourself. Next, punishing yourself. Oh my goodness. Um, sometimes when we're grieving, we have guilt, we have regret, and we uh, we put unrealistic expectations on ourselves. We feel like we should have more control. We don't have any control over so many things that happen in this world. And this could lead to two things. This could be to, to self-harm. Uh, one of the stories shared in the book is a, is a young man who experienced a tragedy. And... Nobody knew it. He was he was harming himself. He was cutting himself, and that is that is definitely the way that a lot of people choose to deal with grief. And it doesn't doesn't change anything. Uh, other people start taking risks. Maybe they go uh, skydiving. Maybe uh, you know. Maybe they start driving fast, or maybe they just kind of become a little more reckless and careless in their lives. And you've got to be very careful about that. You, you, you can't punish yourself. 
even if you did something wrong, even if there's some blame, you what good is it going to do anybody? In the in the moment, it may make you feel better. I was spoken to uh, speaking to somebody one time who they were they were harming themselves, and I said, "Well, you know what? What does that feel like?" And and that in the moment, there was such adrenaline that it was a relief that the physical pain was actually a relief to them. And like so many other things, it's just for a moment. We're not, we're not trying to get momentary fixes here. We're trying for we're we're going for long term uh, health, and that's uh, you know that's a very important thing. Uh, and then the last one, the la- last self destructive behavior, is uh, medications and alcohol. You know, overusing alcohol to try to numb the pain and and try to kind of forget what happened or abusing uh medications i absolutely believe in counseling i believe in 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 medications that can that can help us cope with certain seasons and certain situations but when we start abusing those and we when we start using those in incorrect ways and ways they're not prescribed when we start overindulging in alcohol it 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 never leads us where we really want to go it never leads us where we we need to go, and so you got to be careful of both of those. The final thing in the chapter is if you're experiencing any of those, and all of those things, uh, you know, all those things can be setbacks. I mean, you could make really great progress, uh, and then there's a miscommunication about a grief roll, or you've got a destructive belief that creeps in, or you have a self-defeating behavior that that crops up. Uh, it can set you back almost to day one in your grief journey. And so it's very, very important. You've got to seek help. Again, whether it's uh, counseling, you have got to come up with a grief plan. Um, and that's really hard to do because when you're in the midst of grief, on the one hand, it feels like everything's going a thousand miles a minute. And on the other hand, it feels like everything is slowing down. Grief is a really hard place to be. And you need to know that you're not alone. And whatever you're going through, you have to have somebody in your life that you can talk to. And maybe you're listening and you're like, Heath, I don't have anybody to talk to. Nobody understands. Nobody gets me. Again, heathmulliken at gmail.com. That's where you can contact me, heathmulliken at gmail.com. I'd encourage you, uh, if you're on Facebook, go join the Heath Mulliken Project group. Uh, it's a group, uh, it's basically, we, you know, we're sharing tips on how we can all help each other grow personally, whether you're trying to lose weight or you're trying to improve yourself, whatever you're working on, whatever you're trying to do, uh, my goal is for the the Facebook group to be an outgrow of the the podcast and an outgrow of you know kind of what what we're, we're talking about working through on the podcast. It's a group that's an open place to talk about these things. And again, that's that's what it's all about. Is you you're not going to get through your grief without talking about it, without writing about it you've got to take action and that's very difficult 
you've got to be intentional and you've got to do the things that are going to help you get healthy. And it may take a long time. Uh, I know uh, on my journey, I'm nowhere where I want to be. But I feel like now I have a plan. Uh, I have a destination that I'm that I'm heading toward and I'm working toward. And every day I get a little bit better. And there are certain things that, um, I mean, there are certain things I see in a movie or on a TV show or hear a certain song and it brings tears to my eyes. And it reminds me of uh, my wife. And I think that is 100% perfectly normal. And my goal this year, uh, as we go through this season, is hopefully give you some tips and tools Number one, to cope with grief. Number two, uh, to kind of get your heart and head connected. The second book we're going to go through is called 18 Inches. It was written by uh, one of my former counselors. Uh, and then finally, uh, a gr- great, great book by a guy named Neil Anderson called A Bondage Breaker, uh, which is about uh, you know different sins and struggles that we deal with and how we can overcome them and, and how really how Satan tries to fight against us. He Listen, Satan wants us to be in a constant state of grief. He he does not want us to get out of that pit. He wants us at our worst. He wants us to be miserable. He yeah, he uh he wants us he doesn't want us to be free. Uh Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and they might have it to the full. He want Jesus wants us to have abundant life. And Satan wants the exact opposite of that. He wants us to be uh, absolutely miserable. He wants to torment us. He wants to torture us. And a lot of times there's so many tricks he uses to really get us to torture and torment ourselves. That's one of the reasons we need to work through our grief. Is grief can make us our own worst enemy. And grief, the way that we handle grief... It either makes us better or it makes us bitter. Now there's a season of bitterness. There's man, absolutely. That's just a per. That's just normal. But if that's where you end up. That's no place to be. That's no way to live. That's not how I want to live. And that's not how you want to live. So you're not on this journey alone. I'm here to help. Let me know if I can. May God bless you today. No matter what you're going through. No matter the emotions or grief that you've experienced. I pray that you would feel the peace and the presence of God today. I pray that even if it's just a little glimpse, that you would see some light at the end of the tunnel and you know that hope is just around the corner. So have a great day. Have a blessed week and we'll see you soon.